Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm Dustin. We're going to be reading Amos chapter 5, 1 through 17. It's a little bit long, so stick with me if you do have your Bibles. Pull them up on your phone or whatever, or just read the screen. Hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or you will sweep through the tribes, he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pilates and the Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkness day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the strongholds and brings the fortified cities to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built strong mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as he says he is, just as you say he is. Hey, evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Father, as we get into this text today, I pray that you would bless Steve. God, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds and our eyes, Father, to what you want to reveal to us, that you would move our affections for you, Father. God, that we would long for justice and mercy in pursuing after you with everything. Thank you for your word. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dustin. Great to be with you. Nice to be with you guys online. Nice to see you as well. Seek me and live. There was an awful moment, an awful moment. Finland were playing Denmark, and the best player on the pitch after 40 minutes had the cardiac arrest, Christian Eriksen, one of the best players in the world. And the world is watching. Gary Lineker, the BBC uh, pundit, said it was the hardest moment of his 25 years uh, doing broadcasting. He potentially was going to have to lead the world through one of the best players in the world dying in front of everyone's eyes. It was shocking. We didn't know 
if Christian Eriksen was going to live or die. It's in moments like that that you have to act fast before it's too late. A few years ago, I was playing GAA on a Thursday night with some of the dads, and my friend Hugh, 57 years old, had a cardiac arrest on the pitch, and he nearly died. Shocking. There was 10 of us there. We ran, and a few people were doing the CPR, and the doctor had picked it up on the airlines and came, and there was a local nurse who happened to be there, and, and we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And praise God, like Ericsson, he lived. You've got to make the right choices sometimes before it's too late particularly when life and death are at stake. Amos 5, Amos is saying to the people, you need to make sure you make the right choices in life before it's too late, not just around physical death, the separation of the body and the soul, but spiritual death, the separation of the soul from God forever. So Amos, three times, did you hear it when Dustin read it so well? Seek me and live. It's a call to life. He says it in verse 5, 4, this is what the Lord of Israel says, seek me and live. Verse 5, seek the Lord and live. And then verse 14, slight change, seek good, not evil, that you may live. God is saying, I want you to listen and to act and to make the right choices now so that you live. And he's going to present Israel with three choices on what that means for them. Uh, This doesn't seem to be working. There we go. He's going to say there's three things you need to decide. This is for 8th century Israel, BC, but it's the same for us today. We need to seek life over death. That's the beginning and the end of the passage. We need to seek the almighty God over impotent idols. That's the center of the passage. And then that'll work out in a life of justice rather than a life of injustice. So let's think about the first one. What does it mean to seek life? and not death. Uh, This isn't working, so if you could click along, thank you. Um, One of the the shocking things when we watch Christian Erickson, I don't know if you've seen the clips where you were watching a match live, but we we sort of got a picture of his wife. It was awful, you know, the trauma. She didn't know whether her husband was going to live or die. And uh, we, we sort of got to witness her trauma. And, you know, that's what, that's why death is so horrible. I mean, philosophers say death will render all your earthly accomplishment, your earthly accomplishment meaningless. But on a personal level, death separates you from those you love. Forever. It's final. There's no second chances. And two weeks ago, we were all reminded that the fittest footballers in the world aren't necessarily guaranteed to not have an early death. So why is our world full of death? Well, the secular worldview says, well, it's just inevitable, it's natural, it's, it's, you know, it's a circle of life, it's the, the Lion King, it's survival of the fittest. It, we know that's not true. Death doesn't feel natural. It feels like an intruder. And that's what the Bible says. No, it is not a natural part of this world. It's an intruder into our world. God's original world that he created didn't have death. But the Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death. Death came into the world because we sinned. Death is the punishment we deserve because we've sinned against the holy God. And that is what Amos says to the people of Israel. Death is coming to them because of their sin. So he says they should lament. Next slide here. He says, hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. When do you lament? 
You lament after someone has died. Is, Amos is saying, even though they haven't actually died, Israel, even though they haven't been taken into exile, so to speak, he's saying it's time to lament because it's almost certain it's going to happen. So he says, fallen is, this is past tense. It's not happened, but he's speaking in the past tense because it's inevitable. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again. Deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. At the end of the passage, he says, there's wailing in the streets and cries of anguish in the public square. There's a time for lamenting, uh, Amos says. Why? Because death is upon you, Israel. Why? Because of your sin. You're now going to be abandoned by God and separated from him, which is far worse than physical death, than spiritual death. As I said, he's writing in the past tense as if this has happened, but Actually, if you were living in Israel when Amos said it's time to lament, you'd have gone, that's the strangest thing ever. We've got, we were living in a time of financial prosperity. We've never had so much peace and, and, and political progress in ages. If you were, Israel was seeing a time of, of a, uh, humanly speaking, a time of prosperity. And yet Amos says, no, 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 it's time to lament because there are outs, externally you look so good, internally you are dead in your sins and your transgressions. Externally, you may have it all the money and all the progress you want, but internally, you're dying. And judgment of God is inevitable. And you'll have known that, by the way, just on a, a sort of natural human level. It can look so good on the outside, but inside, you know you're dying. So if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're online or watching the recording and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, the Christian message is, in one sense, quite simple. There's one person in the, in, the, in the history of the world who's ever given an answer to death, and it's the one person that died and rose again. And the only way to ensure that you have confidence after the grave is to know him, Jesus. But don't forget, Amos was written for God's people, Israel. So we have to receive this message as God's people. And the Apostle Paul would, would write similar things um, to the Galatian church who knew they were saved by grace, but were using that grace of God as a license to sin. And, uh, and, 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 and Paul would say this, next slide. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. For those of us that have been saved by grace, that know Jesus... That is no excuse to sin. God cannot be mocked. Every time you choose to sin, you will reap a form of death. You reap what you sow. But if you sow to the Spirit, you reap eternal life. So if we are God's people, where is God saying to you, seek me and live? Stop seeking other things that bring death. Is it a relationship that doesn't honor God? What does it mean to seek him and live? Is it a practice and work that you feel uncomfortable? What does it mean to seek him and live? Is it something to do with an area of sexual immorality? Is it a place where you seek comfort and refuge in the wrong places, in food or Netflix or alcohol or pornography or other areas where we seek comfort and we need to seek God and live? Is it the use of the tongue? And how you give in to anger and impatience and frustration. What does it mean to seek him and live? Maybe it's something you're just so ashamed of and you go, I could never mention this to anyone and you're holding it in the dark and it's causing you to die because no one knows about it. 
What does it mean to seek him and live? Maybe it's a hurt. Someone's hurt you, a word they said, a way they acted, or something happened in life that, and you've never quite let it go, and it is killing you. What does it mean to seek him and live? There's a call today for each of us to go, where am I currently sowing in the wrong way, and I need to seek the Lord and live? And that leads us to the second point on the slide there. The sin beneath the sin, which is to choose the almighty God. Yeah, could you thank you over, over impotent idols. That's fine, we'll come back to that in a minute. Just that's great. So Amos talks about Bethel and Gilgal and Beersheba. These are historical places where God's people had worshipped him, but they turned into places of idol worship, turning to the idols of the nations instead of a place to worship the true God. So Israel was trusting in the nation's idols rather than their God. Now what is an idol? For Israel then, for us today, an idol is the same thing. It may not look the same, but it has the same function. An idol is whatever you look to for security and satisfaction in life. That's what an idol is. Every one of us has to find security and satisfaction in something. It's a human need. The question is where? Will you find your security and satisfaction? What makes you significant? What makes you feel secure? Where do you place your hope? You'll you'll know the options. Money, relationships, work, morality, your looks, some position of power, career, a role you're going to take, your family, your kids, your your opinion, your self-confidence. You feel you're right. It can even be Christian ministry. Something you say, if I have that, as long as I have that, I'm secure. I'm significant. So let me put it like this, and you'll have to follow on the slide here at the back there, Emma. An idol is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. There are always good things, and you go, this is a good gift from God, and I've now made it everything. I've made it my God. It's, it is what gives me security and significance. But then that good thing, next thing on the slide becomes a ruling thing. In other words, whatever you worship and serve will exercise a power over your life and start to control you. You thought, this thing will give me significance and security. In the end, that thing starts to control your emotions and you have an, you're often on an emotional roller coaster depending on whether you're living up to or failing your particular idol. And you see, like any counterfeit God, they never satisfy, satisfy you when you get them and they always crush you when you let them down. They never forgive you. They offer empty promises, and they are merciless. So a good thing in life becomes an ultimate thing. You say, I have to have this to have security and significance. Becomes a ruling thing. It starts to become a power that controls you, and therefore, you reap what you sow finally. It becomes a destructive thing. You start to reap death. The thing you thought was going to bring you everything you ever hoped for, just with a bit of time, you reap what you sow, and it will start to destroy you. Now, many people today say, Steve, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in idols, I don't think I'm a slave to anything, nothing's going to destroy me. That's the modern cry of Dublin, isn't it? I'm free. I'm able to be who I want to be. Nothing's going to stop me. And I say to them, and I say to you, if that's you, don't be so naive. Don't be so naive. We're all serving something. Rebecca Pippet puts it like this on the slide. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. 
The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. The question is not if we will serve something, but what we will serve. I've just been reading a bit about a man called Ernst Becker, who was a social anthropologist, and as far as I can see, he didn't believe in God. Uh, He was from a Jewish background, and uh, he wrote a very famous book called The Denial of Death, which won prizes back in the 70s, and the thesis of the book is that humans live in terror. He was an anthropologist. He says, humans live in terror of their own mortality, and thus they seek to find ways to deny it. And uh, he went on to say that as, as, as we become more secular as a society, we've got rid of God, because we're more secular now, and we've, there's been a void as we think about how to face death and try and deny death, is his point. And he says the main way he, that the Western society has tried to fill the void that, of getting rid of God is through romantic relationships. And he says this. The failure of romantic love as a solution, hum, uh, as a solution human problems is... The failure of romantic love as a solution to human problems is so much a part of modern man's frustration. No human relationship can bear the burden of godhood. However much we may idolize him, the love partner, he inevitably reflects earthly decay and imperfection. After all, what, it is, we, what, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? Listen to this. Not a believer in Jesus. We want to be rid of our faults of our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified to know our existence has not been in vain. We want redemption, nothing less. Needless to say, man's partner cannot give this. It's always the way with counterfeit gods. They promise so much. They deliver so little. And Amos says, when disaster comes, they're never there for you. So verse 5 and 6, it says here, Gilgal, that place where you worship idols, is going to be destroyed too. Bethel, where you worship idols, will be destroyed too. Your idols will not be there when it really matters, when the storm hits. Idols cannot justify your existence and they cannot save or redeem you. Now, this is a unique contribution that Amos brings. He's very strange. He does it three times in the book. He's in the middle of giving this great moment of like exposing the false religion and the false idols and then he bursts into worship spontaneously praising the greatness of God it's called a doxology suddenly praise the greatness of God so he says in verse 8 on the screen there he who made Pleiades and Orion who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the earth the Lord is his name he just interrupts what he's doing he says I just want to praise him He's so great. In other words, Israel, who will you serve? Your impotent idols of romantic love and career and money. Or the one who put the stars in the sky, who holds all the oceans of the world in a bucket. The one who made night and day. Where are you going to go and find security and satisfaction? Go to Gilgal and Bethel and Beersheba? and worship fickle idols or look at the heavens and look at the sea and realize the change of the day from darkness to light and go, who is this one? He's the one that can satisfy and can redeem. Seek him and live. So Amos is presenting the people with a choice of choosing life over death 
How? By choosing the almighty God over impotent idols. But as is always the case with Amos, he wants to get specific about what that will look like in their lives. What does, a, what does a life look like that's alive to God? Well, the specific issue in his day is it's going to mean justice in daily life. Next slide, please. Choose justice over injustice. See, this is how it works. The worship of idols not only leads to personal destruction as we disintegrate and we reap what we sow, it also leads to social decay. We destroy one another. The worship of idols not only brings internal destruction, but it wreaks decay and havoc in society. Why? Because idols are merciless, and we will trample on people to make sure we get them, because they are everything to us. That's how it works. When you harden your heart towards God, you automatically are also hardening your heart towards your neighbor. Idols make us cruel and selfish because they want us, and we have to serve them. For Israel, it was financial wealth and prosperity at the expense of the poor. So, I mean, there's just so many verses here. Verse 10, he says there's injustice in the law courts. There's a lack of truth-telling. In verse 11, he tells how the rich are imposing heavy taxes and making the poor work to finance their luxurious lives. He says the landlords are charging exorbitant rents. I mean, things don't change, do they? It's amazing. It's there. The landlords are charging exorbitant rents. They're not acting illegally but they're acting immorally. So the poor remain poor and the rich get rich. He says they oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. In summary, Amos's critique of Israel was, that, was for corruption of their judicial systems and the, ex, economic exploit, the economic exploitation of the poor. You see, for Amos, the poor are not just the financially poor, but also the vulnerable and the defenseless who are unable to represent themselves in court. They can't hire a lawyer. So the rich get their way in those decisions. The poor have been overridden. They've been treated as insignificant. They've been disregarded. The idolatry of Israel has not only led them on a path of spiritual death, alienation from God, it's also led them on a path towards social death, the breakdown of society as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Failure to love God inevitably means failure to love your neighbor. So he's saying, lift your eyes and worship the true God. It will not only liberate you, it will also cause you to live justly and act righteously. So final slide here. God comes to Israel nearly 3,000 years ago with three choices. The Holy Spirit comes to everyone in this room, everyone online. Make a choice before it's too late. Do you want life over death? Do you want God over impotent idols? And do you want to live justly? Or do you want to tread on the poor? History tells us it, it was too late for Israel. They were dead in sin and they would soon be exiled in 722 BC to the Assyrians. Their sin found them out. They didn't act wisely. They didn't respond quickly. It's not too late for us. God presents us with the same three choices. I wonder which of the three the Spirit is saying, I'm just prodding you here. I just want you to think for a moment this Sunday afternoon to seek me and to live 
It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a moment he's coming to condemn you. He's saying, seek me and live. And with Jesus, it's always now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of God's favor. Now is the time we seek first his kingdom. So today, seek him and live. Just one final thought. Because I think this is relevant for our times. One more click on the PowerPoint there. Is the God of the Bible a liberal or a conservative? Just from Amos 5. On the one hand, he seems conservative, doesn't he? He calls people to personal conversion so they avoid judgment. It's sort of turn or burn stuff, you know? Pretty conservative. But on the other hand, he seems like a liberal. He defends the rights of the poor and the oppressed. He gives a voice to the voiceless. He shines a light on areas of injustice. Which one is he? Is he a God that's into evangelism or social justice? Is he into saving souls for eternity or peace on earth? There's many, in the, many voices in the world today that say you have to choose which God you want. Not the God of the Bible. He's both. And sadly, there are many Christians in society right now that assume that God is supporting their political agenda and that anyone on, on a different political spectrum is not only not a brother and sister in Christ, the way they articulate it, they're also the enemy. You know, the liberals think the conservative, conservatives are the problem. The conservatives think the liberals are the problem. The God of the Bible is not tied to any one political agenda. At times, he's a, he's a softy, he's a bleeding-heart liberal who's defending the cause of the rights for the women, of people of color, of the poor, of the economic migrant, and so on and so forth. And at sometimes, he's a staunch right-wing conservative who talks about sexual immorality, the rights of the baby in the womb, and the importance of personal salvation. May God help us at Christ City Church hold the tension of the scriptures of who our God is and never make God serve any political agenda that any one of us have. And may we be able to find a place where our unity is always in Jesus and never in our political views and where we have space to talk about our differences and love one another across ideologies. Why? Because we know the one who made Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkness day into night. He's the one that unites us, the one who calls the water of the sea and pours out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. We worship him. We're united around him. Let me finish with him. A few weeks ago, when Ericsson fell over, uh, it collapsed, the captain of the Danish football team was hailed as a hero. Uh, he didn't let Ericsson's tongue go into the back of his throat to suffocate him. On the slide here, two clicks on, he formed a circle around Ericsson of his players to protect his dignity and privacy in a very terrible time. He performed CPR to keep Ericsson alive so the oxygen would keep going to the brain and he took time to find Ericsson's wife to comfort her. He was a savior. He acted quickly before it was too late. Amos longed to be a savior to Israel, turning them to God from their idols before it was too late. He longed to save them, but they wouldn't act before it was too late. Years later, another savior would come and he'd weep over Jerusalem because he knew destruction was coming. He was the only person in history who truly and completely and fully loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
and his neighbor as himself. He never gave in to the lure of the political, financial, or sexual idols of his day. He never once treated the poor with contempt. Instead, he was their champion. He defended them and gave them a voice. In fact, he said he came not just for the physically poor, but for the spiritually poor, those who knew they were bankrupt before God and need of his mercy. And his heart was so moved for us, it was as if he formed a shelter around us to say, I'm going to protect your dignity. I'm going to protect you from death. I'm going to surround you for whatever life comes. And when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he made us alive to God. And he'd be the one person, when you worship him, he satisfies you. And when you fail him, he doesn't crush you, he forgives you. He's not merciless. He's the wonderful savior. And as we serve him, we don't become cruel, we become loving. So Jesus says to each of us today, seek me and live. You will know life inside you and that life will spill out with lives of justice and mercy towards your neighbors. Let me pray and Craig will lead us in our final song. I wonder how the Spirit is speaking to you to seek him and live today. What does that mean for you? Take a moment to consider. Lord, we live in a world which is constantly pulling our attention to seek other things as if they're going to bring life. The marketeers and advertisers of our world make millions because we believe those lies, that if we seek that thing, it's going to fulfill us. And today, Lord, we just say sorry that we so often run after those impotent idols as if they're going to give us the security and the satisfaction that only you can bring. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Savior and that you came and formed a circle around us to protect us from eternal justice, from ourselves, from the cruel, evil world that we often find ourselves in. And you did everything that was needed. You took all, you paid special attention to every one of our needs that we might be saved. So Lord, today as a church and as individuals, we, we seek you because we long to live. We long to be freed from the things that enslave us. And we long to live those lives that represent your kingdom day to day to those around us. So help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.